want to thank Hannah and Connor for leading us so beautifully um, this morning into the presence of God, and it's just wonderful to be together worshiping. I think it's one of the things that certainly I have um, missed through all those months of not being able to be together, to be with God's people, and just to worship, have the truth of the gospel sung over us, that God is with us and for us and continues to pursue us. I want to um, bring the third part of our new series this morning, and I want to ask a question. I think questions are really important. I think there are good questions, and perhaps there's some not-so-good questions too. The kinds of questions that we all ask are often really revealing of who we are, perhaps. They reveal parts of us. And so today, let me begin with this question. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? If we were to walk into, a, I was going to say a crowded room, but we don't do crowded rooms at the moment, but if you were to walk into a crowded room when we were able to do that, when we were able to do that, and you start asking people that question, what do you think about when you think about God? You're going to get all kinds of answers, right? You're going to get all kinds of responses. Some religious answers and language, some not so much, but you're going to get a diversity of responses. You'll maybe hear about this all-powerful deity or the big guy upstairs, you've heard about that, or the creator God who watches over us, or some people might describe God as this energy, this force, perhaps creation or the universe itself being a manifestation of the divine. So what do you think about when you think about God? That is the question that A.W. Tozer, who was quite a, a well-known, famous American pastor, uh, said in the mid-20th century. He said that the most important thing about us is what comes to our minds when we think about God. It's a great question. But I want to start with a different question. I want to start with a different question. The question is this. What do you long for? What do you long for? Or maybe this will help. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas, the good witch Glinda reminded her. And Dorothy, who has known this intuitively, replies, if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. Because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. This is Dorothy's revelation at the end of The Wizard of Oz. You know that classic American movie that many of us have watched more times than we care to admit. And at the start of the movie, of course, after the film's initial credits scroll, across the screen, the viewer, when we're watching, we're introduced to this girl, this Kansas farm girl, Dorothy Gale and her little dog, Toto, and they're running away from home down a dusty old country trail, cutting through the, the plains of middle America, a significant image that sets up this adventure that they go on in The Wizard of Oz, an adventure on the parallel path of her unconscious dream, the magical yellow brick road, trying to find her way back home. Like Dorothy, we're all trying to find our way back home. 
so that question again, what do you long for? I think perhaps this is a better question than the first one. What do you think about God? Or at least it's the question I want us to start with because I think it's a better place to start. What do you long for? Hold that question in your minds. And it's a different starting point than the, than the first question. And I'm not alone in bringing it because I'm taking my lead from, from Jesus in this story from John chapter 4. Let's read John chapter 4. I'll put it up. It'll be on the screen, hopefully, behind me. Verse 1 to 15. I want to read these verses of this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Let me read these verses. Now, Jesus learned that the, that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, <clears throat> although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of life welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I'm taking my lead this morning in asking the question, what do you long for? I'm taking that lead from Jesus in this story in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And Jesus does not speak to this woman's mind. He addresses, well, he Sorry, he does speak to her mind. He speaks to her mind. He addresses the questions later in the passage when she raises them about rightful worship, which mountain will we worship God on? That's a concern in her mind that comes from centuries of strife between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, all peoples. Jesus honors those questions by engaging those questions. And maybe you too have questions like that this morning. They're important questions. But I'm not starting with those questions this morning, certainly not in the 20 minutes we have today, because Jesus starts with a different question. He starts with the question, what do you long for, essentially, because he's not speaking to this woman's mind, but he's speaking to her heart. Jesus is speaking to her heart. What do you long for? I think this is the question that we are all asking. Perhaps we ask ourselves, and I hazard a guess that all of us, 
a bit like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, longs for home. We long for home. There is a sense in this world that there's a disconnect and a distance. The feeling that we're not quite in the place that we should be. There can be that feeling that we're far from home. And this longing, this yearning in the human heart, well, it is a deeply human longing. And I want to propose to us this morning as we explore this part of the very good gospel, that that longing deep in every human soul ultimately is a longing for home and it's a longing for God. We long for home. We long for a place of safety, a place of belonging, a place of peace, for connection to this mystery that we call God, the divine or creator. We, we long for relationship and knowing God, a deep sense of knowing God, a peace with God. It's in every human soul. I think it's a brilliant question to start with this morning. What do we long for? The philosopher and mathematician, Blaise Pascal, one of the top mathematicians to ever really live, he's in that conversation. He said that this infinite abyss in our souls could be filled with only one thing, and that is, that is God. So back to this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It begins... When this woman approaches the well at high noon in the desert outside the city of Sychar in Samaria, and most Samaritan women came to draw water in the early morning or at dusk to avoid the heat of the noonday sun. Women in that culture, a patriarchal culture, would have socialized together at the well as they drew water from the well. But this woman didn't do that. She walked alone. She was lugging her water jugs under the hot sun. Perhaps being alone, she could find peace. Was she trying, or what was she trying to avoid, I suppose is the question. The backstory later on in that passage in, in John 4, which you can go on to read later, speaks about this woman's personal life, that she had had five husbands and that the man she was with at the time was not her husband. She had given herself to five men, and five men had thrown her out. How empty must she have felt? How used? How disappointed? How unworthy of love? Five times the, this woman trusted a man to care and provide for her in a world in which men had multiple wives and concubines, but women could only have one husband. Five times she had a home, she had food, she had protection, and five times she was thrown away. What were the chances that the man she was with at the moment would follow suit? What were the chances that the man that she was with at this moment would stay faithful to her? Perhaps this woman went to the well to draw water at noonday to avoid meeting anyone, including the other women, hearing their whispers of her barrenness or her past worthlessness as a wife or her conniving ways with men. Would any man see her as more than just a brief pit stop? The nameless woman in this story approaches the well but instead of solitude, she finds a Jewish man. 
a Jewish man, her enemy, as a Samaritan woman, sitting by the well. And verse 4 tells us that Jesus had gone through Samaria with his disciples on the way from Judea to Galilee. And although there was an alternative route that they could have taken, they went this way. Jews commonly took the longer route around to avoid Samaritans, but that is not what Jesus does in this story. Why did Jews avoid Samaritans? That's a long story. It's a long story to do with different people groups, all living in a similar place, brought about by warring kingdoms and conquests, leaving people with different views on life and God and where to worship and how. And ultimately, throughout the years, violent clashes had taken place for centuries between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus could have avoided all of that awkwardness. He could have avoided all of that by taking this alternative route, but he doesn't. He goes straight into and through Samaria. He approaches the city of Sychar. His disciples go off to buy food. And here he is sitting by Jacob's well under the high desert sun. The gospel writer mentions Jacob's name three times because the original hearers would have recalled the significance of that well in their history and the lives of several patriarchs. You see, a well serves as a metaphor for a place of legacy and of love. So the well, they're meeting at the well. This is a significant place for the people listening to this story, including us today. It's a place where deals would have been made at the well. It's a place where people would have been set apart for God's purposes at the well. Jacob sat by, sorry, Jesus sat by Jacob's well and the nameless Samaritan woman representing this cross-section of ethnicities and living on the margin of the margins this woman meets Jesus there at this well. And Jesus opens the conversation with this phrase, give me a drink, give me a drink. That phrase echoes another story in Genesis 24 when Abraham had sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant completed the task and Rebecca walked up and said to the servant, give me a drink. Rebecca later became Isaac's wife. Likewise, when Jesus asked the Samaritan woman to give him a drink, he was setting the stage for marriage, if you will. Go with me. Just prior to this, Jesus had said to his disciples, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And John's gospel raises the question, who is the bride and who is the bridegroom? And in John chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus answers the question, with these four words, give me a drink. The big idea here, Redeemer, this morning is that Jesus himself is saying that he is the bridegroom. And as Jesus waited at the well and asked for a drink of water from a Samaritan woman, the God of all creation crossed space and time to propose to humanity. And in asking this of a Samaritan woman, Jesus showed that God's love is not limited by ethnicity or gender or social status. I love the woman's comeback. How is it that you, a Jew, can ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? In other words, are you for real, Jesus? You can't want to be with me because no one wants to be with me, least of all you Jews. And Jesus then replies, if you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman begins to realize that there's more to this Jesus than just an encounter under the midday sun. That Jesus is explaining to her that the water that he was offering would never run out. That his living water gushes up to eternal life. And those who drink it never thirst. So essentially, Jesus approaches the woman asking, what is it that you long for? What is it that you thirst for? What is it that you quench after? Something to satisfy, something to be satisfied by. This deep longing to be home, to be where you belong. Jesus uses this image of water and living water while sitting at the well, and it's not by accident. Because throughout the scriptures, and particularly in the book of Jeremiah, God speaks about living water. Yahweh pleads with Israel, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, and how you followed me into the wilderness. What wrong did your ancestors find in me when they went far from me after worthless things and became worthless themselves? And it goes on to say, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. God is basically saying to his people that you were devoted to me like a loving bride. You loved me, you followed me, but now you're drinking from cups that can hold no water. You're thirsty. We are thirsty. Humanity is thirsty for this place called home. Thirsty for relationship, deep knowing with our creator relationship with God, but we often drink from cups that can hold no water. We draw well water and find that we're thirstier than when we started. And it is the water of self-hatred and rejection, the water of shame and isolation, the water of misogyny and patriarchy. It's the toxic dumping and the climate change. It's the water of violence and neglect and nationalism. It's the well water that throws us into depression and rage and self-pity and isolation and narcissism. The best that well water can do is momentarily offer us bliss followed by hell on earth. But Jesus reminds the Samaritan woman that she was created for living water. The woman who had been rejected time and time again was created for the healing of the living water that flows from God, that acceptance, that wholeness. She was created for this peace, this shalom between ethnicities, ethnic groups, between the genders. She was created for a place where living water springs up from the earth, where water flows and nourishes the ground and everything in its path. This 
hardened Samaritan woman sitting under the noonday sun at Jacob's well. She was created to be loved and to love. The book that we're basing this series that we're in, The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper. It's a beautiful book and I really encourage you to dig into it and read it. And Lisa Sharon Harper says this, that the whole of our lives is a journey to return home. The journey of our lives from birth to death is a journey back to God. If we read from Psalm 139, it speaks to us about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. I've had the privilege of watching my wife, Beth, change over the last number of months as we are expecting our first little one in August. And the beauty and the amazement of how God knits together someone in the womb, and that is how he sees all of us. That is what he has done for all of us. He has knitted us. He has seen us in our mother's wombs. Before we had bodies, we were with God and known by God, and we knew God. God is our home. And from birth to death, the whole of our lives is a journey back home. In Genesis 2, the story that Stephanie was teaching on last week, we see this glimpse of living water gushing up from Eden and spreading out in different directions. This was the very good gospel from the beginning. Living water, creating lush living space, safety, fruitful work. And then comes this break with Ish and Isha, or Adam and Eve, as we know them, choosing to find their own way towards peace instead of God's way, trusting the serpent instead of the words of God. And we see God later in the garden pursuing them, coming after them, chasing them down in love. But within those 16 verses in Genesis chapter 2, we see that Shalom had been ransacked and every relationship had broken down in that story. And that's where we find ourselves as humans, this relationship with God and with one another and with our world, there's a sense of brokenness. And yet, in another way, there is no way humanity could violate relationship with any other creature and not violate relationship with God. It is one and the same thing. It is why Jesus taught that the height of the law was to love God and love your neighbor. To love God and love others is one and the same thing. Creation is bound together by our relationship with our creator. And since it is our creator's love that binds us together, to break one tie is to break it all. This broken relationship, this lostness, this far from homeness, this longing, this thirst, it has all been reversed. It has all been mended, fixed, and made whole in the very good gospel, in the story of Jesus and his death reversing resurrection life that reaches down to us and calls us home, calls us into life, calls us to living waters. In the first week of the series, I spoke about the street preacher's gospel and how that, that story was such a small and limited view of what we know as God's great redemption plan for this world, the very good gospel. 
that this story we're part of, in fact, has everything to do with everything, including our relationship with God. In fact, our relationship with God is where it starts. And it begins there, our healing and our wholeness and our flourishing. As we enter into relationship with God, there is new creation, new life that, that breaks forth. Here is the hope that we have as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that this world is being made new. The very good gospel is that this world is being made new, but that it is being made new one person at a time. Shalom, peace with God for every human soul, one person at a time. St. Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. An act of creation itself. So this morning, Redeemer, what do you long for? I would love us to pay attention to the longing that's deep within all of our souls to relationship with the divine, to experience and know again the foundational love of God in our lives. Jesus says this to you like he said to the Samaritan woman that he loves you. He is pursuing you. You are worth it. He has crossed the span of 2,000 years, breaking down time and space to remind you today that he loves you. Hannes von Boltzar says this, that God is not in the first place absolute love, but, or absolute power, but absolute love. God is absolute love. N.C. Wright says that it is God's covenantal loving kindness that invites humans to come back into the place of God's purpose. That we then, as engaged in God's redemptive plan for the ages, become a kingdom of priests. We represent God's loving nature among peoples who have also lost their way. And we invite towards engagement with the living God. This world redeemer becomes new becomes whole becomes mended one person at a time and it starts with us finding ourselves in relationship at peace with the living god drawing from those living waters drinking from the living water the spring of life itself so here's the questions i'd love to leave with you today seeing i've asked an awful lot of questions do you believe that God crosses barriers to love you? To be with you? To ask for your yes to him? What's holding you back? Do you sense God's movement in your life and your soul to bring that healing to others? To share that good news of relationship with the divine? For those who feel the absence of God this morning, I want to share something for you. We read at the start of our service today in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. And that psalm goes on to say that my tears have been my food day and night. There's a sorrow and a grief 
in the night that some of you perhaps have experienced and felt and you can resonate with the psalm writer when the psalm writer says that my tears have been my food day and night. But I came across this beautiful poem during the week and I'd like to read it to you as a grace to you as a words that will help perhaps you answer this question what are you longing for this morning it's called the heat of midnight tears it says this listen my friend this road is the heart opening kissing his feet resistance broken tears all night if we could reach the lord through immersion in water I would have been asked to be born a fish in this life. If we could reach him through nothing but berries and wild nuts, then surely the saints would have been monkeys when they came from the womb. If we could reach him by munching lettuce and dry leaves, then the goats would surely get to the Holy One before us. If the worship of stone statues could bring us all the way, I would have adored a granite mountain years ago. But Marabi says this, that the heat of midnight tears will bring you to God. The heat of midnight tears will bring you to God. I think it's a beautiful poem that speaks to the deep ache in so many of us when it comes to thinking about our relationship with God the divine. And I hope it ministers grace to you today to know that in the place you find yourself, God is with you, pursuing you and declaring over you, no matter where you are, time and time again, that he loves you, he sees you, that you are worthy, and that he invites you into this relationship with living water that will spring up within you. Shalom. This has been my experience in my life as I've known Jesus. I'm still waiting, much like the author in the book as well writes about this, waiting for God to change me, ask my wife in a million ways that I need changed. There's stubbornness and there's brokenness in my life. I am not perfect by any means. The leaders of this community are not perfect by any means. We are not perfect. But knowing the love of God in Jesus and the great reversal into resurrection life, knowing that we can walk the road back to Kansas one step at a time on the journey towards home. And in the process, we partner with God, bringing healing to the most broken corners of our city and our world on the way. Despite our anxious minds, despite division, despite threats of violence, God's vision remains, wholeness for a fragmented world, peace for a hurting soul. Shalom. I'd love to invite you to stand because we're going to taste this morning, I hope, of that peace, of that grace, of that love that comes only through Jesus and his table of grace. We have bread here, gluten-free. We have some juice here. 
And this represents that beautiful meal that Jesus shared with us as followers of Jesus on this journey. To taste grace, to know that we have found home in Christ, that this is our home around this table, that there is a place for every single one of us, that there is grace no matter what we have done or where we're coming from. And I pray and trust today that as we come forward and take the bread and wine, that we can taste a little bit of grace a little bit of that peace that we can carry into our week. So, like we've been doing over the past few weeks, it's click and collect this morning. You can come up throughout the next song in your own time and just select a little bread and then over here, a little juice and return to your seat and hold the bread and wine, hold the bread and juice, hold it and at the end of the song, we will take it together and we will be finished with our time this morning. Is that cool? I'm gonna hand over to Hannah and to Connor, and I'll unfold the bread and wine and let us worship at the grace and the table of Jesus.